Welcome to the Neurodiverse Toolbox with Sheila Kieschlin and Paige Kieschlin. Good evening, Paige. Good evening. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I am well. How was your day? I'm busy. That's better than boring, I guess. Awesome. So today, Paige and I are going to talk about rejection sensitivity dysphoria, what it is, what it feels like, what it might look like if you don't have it, right? If you're on the receiving end of it, I guess, um, why it might be, uh, what some consequences or outcomes of it are, and what you can do about it. So, Paige, you did some research. What'd you find out? Okay. So, um, rejection sensitivity dysphoria <clears throat> it was a term, um, I guess, created. Coined by? Coined, or, by? coined by Dr. William Dodson. He's an ADHD doctor. Or he was. I think he's retired now. But, Pretty much. Um. But um, from the interwebs, rejection sensitivity dysphoria or, or RSD, which is just what we're going to say because who wants to say that long name? But RSD is an extreme emotional <laughs> sensitivity and pain triggered by the rejection or the perceived rejection that a person has. Uh, or is when they're like critiqued by important people in their life or they feel like they've been critiqued by someone who's important in their life it could be physical like physically like we're rejecting you or it can be a perceived like I feel like these people are rejecting or criticizing me that's usually the case in my personal experiences but um it could also be triggered by a sense of falling short or failing to meet someone their own high standards. So, because if you have ADHD in particular, you're usually pretty, uh, a pretty like big like perfectionist. <laughs> so, um, and um, it can be. RSD can be in ADHD and autism. People have like said that because when I did research on it before, like before we had started the podcast, I had only seen things about it being for people with ADHD and it was just something ADHD people experienced. But other information and when you were telling me about it, people on the spectrum have said that they relate to they feel like they have it too. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's not actually in the DSM-5 in the United States. Or anywhere. It, it's or not. anywhere. It's, it's not, not in it. It's not an official, well, the DSM only exists in the U.S., but the European equivalent to the DSM doesn't have it in there either. Okay. Maybe but, someday. So is it something that you have to that you can get diagnosed or is it kind of just like a self-diagnosis thing um doctors might like our therapists people who diagnose not us mm -hmm. not um us. people who can diagnose you <laughs> might say yeah these are 
these are symptomatic of this, but it's not an official diagnosis. There's no like code to put on insurance forms or okay. any of that stuff. Right. You so. can't like get it on like an e uh, a 504 or something. No. No. Okay. No. All right. So what it might feel like. So here are the official. <laughs> the official symptoms. Um, an overwhelming sense of purpose being purposefully excluded, even if other people didn't know they wanted, even if other people didn't know that you wanted to be involved. Um, intense anger, mm. irrational fear, fears, fear, irrational fears, feelings of worthlessness, refusing to acknowledge or respond to the person who they feel hurt them. There's a lot. Okay. Reacting to accidents as being the other person's fault. Oh. Um, out, outrage oh. at other <laughs> outrage <laughs> at others at others for not interceding. interceding on their behalf. What does that mean? So like <clears throat> being mad at somebody because they didn't come to your defense. And you think oh. they should have? Oh, well, don't be so petty. Okay. Um, right? Like you thought you were, you're in the moral right about something and you're arguing and with you somebody like... and a loved one doesn't say, yeah, Paige is right. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. They're not I like, could see. I could see how someone would be totally see how that. Me but, too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, uncontrollable outbursts of tears, yelling, or throwing things when they believe they have been wronged. That's very specific. Things. Um, hitting, biting, or running away. A result of the fight or flight. Okay. Um, being people pleasers. So that's to avoid RSD episodes related to criticism or actual rejection right so you basically yeah, okay. make yourself a you know people walk all over you because you're so afraid they'll take their love away right i'll talk about that more later it's That's coming up again okay um social phobias or uh, social withdrawal and then being over oversensitive in social settings mine there's lots that i didn't know there <laughs> <laughs> what does it feel like for you as a person experiencing it okay so i wrote down my own thing and then i did like <clears throat> research and p i've noticed that a lot of people feel the same way so okay so i think of it as like it's very intense and sometimes the intensity can feel it feels like your core like the core of my being is like physically in pain like it's physically painful sometimes Ooh. depending on how like significant it is like if it the more severe and intense it is the more like actual pain pain or just physical so is that, uncomfort is that associated to like how important the person is to you or is it by the situation? I, I don't know. I'm asking. I think so. I would think, I think so. Yeah. Cause like, 
it's like a friend or something thing I feel like more hurt by someone like instead of like a stranger if a stranger said something to me and it just like upset me I'm like kind of annoyed by it but it doesn't hurt as much as like if a friend said that they didn't want to hang out or something okay um and then sometimes I feel stupid or ridiculous for feeling so upset over something that's probably not that important to be upset about like your friend didn't want to hang out with you it's fine you don't have to get hurt about it they like you still they just have other things to do um and then I sometimes just like beat myself up over being so sensitive because I am so sensitive and sometimes it's just like ridiculous like why are you crying about this right so then you're like so you have an RSD triggered moment because somebody quote-unquote rejects you yeah. and then you have another one because you feel Over like self yeah yeah it's quite and then um I read this other thing about it too um and I agree with it it's definitely the worst part about having ADHD at least in the ADHD aspect of it it's by far the worst I'd rather be late to everything and lose everything and <laughs> be sensitively more advanced but it's okay it's it makes it like harder to make and maintain friendships by like a long shot and that's probably the most frustrating part about the whole if if ADHD was all of what it is except for that then I feel like it wouldn't be as bad to have but it's kind of no bueno with the RSD part. It's no bueno on the receiving end either, right? I bet. (laughs) So I don't have it, right? But I've witnessed or been on the receiving end of your episodes of RSD. Um, And it really appears to be just this complete overreaction to whatever's being said, right? And so I'm sure you've heard me tell this story, but usually when I'm explaining it to people, when you were younger, I used to ask you, like, what's, how was your day at school? And you would just, like, sometimes you would stomp your feet and slam your door into your room. So I never got an answer to my question. And sometimes you would just, like, burst into tears, right? And I don't know what, like, I can only guess that you were feeling like, I thought you didn't do what you were supposed to do during the day. And so you thought I was judging you. Oh. I wasn't. I like, All right. it's you a pretty benign serious. question. I just wanted to know what you did that day, right. which I thought was a pretty legit question, but it is. It is I did legit. learn to change my question. Um, but I think what we mentioned, we've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I just don't think it can be mentioned enough. I think it's really, really, really important for people who don't have RSD to um understand that um the reaction that you're getting from somebody is often equal to the pain that the person who has RSD is is giving right so so the fact that you would like burst into tears 
probably should have been a bigger clue to me than something was going on, right? (laughs) Uh, You were diagnosed kind of late. Right. So, um, but it was one of those things that was like, geez, something's really like off here. I mean, that question should not trigger somebody. I mean, so it certainly (laughs) did tell me like something's not right. But right. I just think that, you know, you can't, you can't know what's going on in somebody else's head. So you can only take their external cues. So if somebody's having what you think is an overreaction, you need to figure out what's going on with them, right? And whether that's stepping back and giving them a moment or asking them to express how they're feeling and giving them the space, the safe space, I would say, to explain that without judgment I think is really, really important. So, right. So the other big, then the other thing is just like, why, why might this happen? And I've never actually seen an answer to why it is, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Right. So anybody who's neurodiverse has really big emotions and they also have fairly poor perception skills And I think when you tie those two things together, what you're going to get is RSD. So then do you think that anyone who's like any form of, of um, a neurodiversity could potentially have RSD? Like someone with like dyslexia or. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I don't know. It could just be a neurodiversity thing. Maybe. I don't know. Um. I think another part of it, though, is that it's constantly, not constantly, but it's often for some situations being perpetuated by whatever adult is in the situation who's not, um, who doesn't understand and is minimalizing somebody's feelings, right? So, like, if my reaction to you when you burst into tears would have been like, stop crying, Paige, there's no reason to be crying. That that would then just make you feel even more judged and more criticized and more rejected, right? Yeah. Again. It probably would have made me cry even more. Right. So. Right. It it can be a cycle. So mm-hmm. so um tell us about outcomes. Okay. So you might appear rude or childish or mean to someone else. Um I've gotten that feedback before. I'm sure. People Maybe at for work, me. my Sorry. friends at work will tell me like, oh, you sounded rude. And I was like, oh, I wasn't trying to be rude or mean. I was just stating a fact. And she's like, well, it sounded rude. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, you might snap or be mean to the people who care about you. Yes. As mom already has explained. <laughs> Yes, hey, Paige, definitely. How was your day at school, and I, I mean, definitely other situations mean. too, right? Like, well, right. I mean, sometimes I was critiquing you, like because mm-hmm. you were a child, and sometimes I was trying to teach you the right way to do something, or right. use correct manners, or whatever lesson in life I was trying to teach you as a parent. Yes, and you would react negatively. Yes. Yes. Um. Of, um, negative self-talk you beating well exactly what I was saying earlier you beat yourself up over 
whatever. We're good at that. Very good at it. It's just very good at that. Like, oh, I yelled at my significant other or my sibling or my whatever. You know, I reacted badly and now I feel bad that I reacted badly. Mm -hmm. Right. Um this um cycle of rejection and then lashing out is um I guess a loss of relationship or a damage to a relationship. Right. So, so relationships. So it's just this vicious cycle, right? Vicious you feel cycle. you feel rejected. So you lash out. So then the person you lash out with is either like if they don't know or they don't understand what RSD is, right? It's a loss of that friendship or a loss of that Whatever. relationship or damage to it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you feel guilty and you ruminate, which we were just talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And then you feel more rejection. So just like it's, it's a terrible cycle. It's a horrible, horrible vicious cycle. Yes. Um social struggles, lacks of friendship, lack of friendships. Right. You were just saying earlier that it made it harder to it made it harder to make and maintain any form of relationship close relationships with like family and friends or romantic relationships mm-hmm. um people pleasing so you so everyone loves you and you won't and won't reject you so you just choose not to say anything and this is let it let the let the feelings pester until you explode which is also not healthy and you shouldn't do right so. but this becomes like People pleasing becomes extremely dangerous when we come when we start talking about like women with autism who um, are people pleasing, but then also like not reading social cues either, right? And they really can become. Um, we're, we'll we have scheduled an, an upcoming episode about this, but. There's, you know, most women um, who are on this spectrum have had some kind of abusive mm-hmm. romantic relationship, right? Yeah. And yeah. so if you're people-pleasing <laughs> about it, like, mm-hmm. right, if people-pleasing is part of that factor, then that's really only going to exacerbate Make that entire, yeah. right? Also, like, the whole thing. children who are people-pleasing, like, that's just, that's not okay. <laughs> that's not okay that's not normal behavior for a child right yeah so those are well i feel like children try to please people like a small child tries to please like their parents or whoever because they want that very small thing. children yes not like an eight-year-old We're so at you're some talking about point... like a two-year-old i'm at some point it's really like developmentally important that like children only think about themselves because that's what children do right so there's a certain point in when you grow up that that behavior becomes inappropriate for that age right okay cool right like children shouldn't be children don't normally people please they might do some things like you know but sometimes it's a fight right like i coach kids all the time around like my mom wants me to clean my room and I don't want to clean my room. This is a big topic. This is a very big topic that teenagers 
and middle schoolers bring to coaching. And so like the only benefit they can ever think of to like cleaning their room is it'll get my mom off my back or it'll get my dad off my back. Right. Oh yeah. I didn't have that problem in middle school or high school because I shared my room with Alexis. So it was, I want my stuff to stay nice and don't want it to get ran over. With her wheelchair. Now as an adult, my room is constantly messy. And what do you do? So that I can't see the mess. I just close the door. There you go. But then I feel, then I just get the, I just get the benefit or the, not the benefit in air quotes, not really a benefit. That's a sarcastic. Right. I mean, the word benefit of it being all messy and gross, but. Right. And so that visual clutter bothers you. Bothers me. But it's your room. But it's my room. There I have plenty of clients who are like. No, like I don't even see the clutter. Like they're so hypo visual that like the clutter doesn't bother them and they could just like discount it and like it's not even there. Um, So for them and they're not like they know what pile of whatever on the floor is their, you know, shin guards for soccer. It is an organized clutter for some people. No, yours is not. But some people's is, and they know where their stuff is. So if it's not causing a problem, if you can find your crap and it's only bothering mom and dad or your siblings, close your door. Um, just close the door, right? If it's um, if it's like bothering you and making you anxious, or you can't find your stuff, then that's something that needs to be dealt with (laughs) then it's a problem right but like people so that's normal people pleasing behavior like my room makes my right but like in general like teenagers like are not all about people pleasing their parents usually people pleasing their friends peer pressure right that also isn't good it peer depends on what they're peer pressuring you into. It's not usually something good. It's not usually good. Usually it's like to drink or, or drugs. Right. It's usually not good. But there are some situations like when my nephew went to school, he ended up in a room with like two super smart people. So he was almost like peer pressure to like excel in his classes because he was sort of competing with them all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So it can be good, but you're right. It's peer pressure. Not usually not good. a good thing. No, yeah. it's not. All right, so. Um, Hacks. Yeah. Hacks and um, other things. Um, DBT. I don't know what that is. DBT is um, a. Therapy, I would say. It is. It's a, it's like a small, like a, it's, it comes under cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's dialectic behavior therapy. So this is a practice that really teaches people like, um, to like learn exercises in mindfulness and interpersonal effectiveness, emotional regulation, de-stress tolerance or resiliency. Um, it was actually originally developed for people who have bipolar, but it there are a group of therapists who have like modified it to neurodiversity, specifically ADHD. But um, 
and it's like all the rage now for rsd good then it works i mean if i imagine if it helps someone with bipolar right work pretty well yes um from what i know i know um I know one woman, another woman who's a coach who says that it like saved her daughter. Her daughter had was, we're going to talk about medicine next, but her daughter was one of the people that medicine had no effect. It had no effect on her. So the, but the DBT, she says saved her daughter. That's good. Yeah. So, and it's a big, it's a big thing now. So. But you definitely want somebody who's doing it specific for neurodiversities or ADHD specifically and not for bipolar. Obviously, that's not going to. Obviously, gonna... that won't work. Fine. So find a therapist that does it for ADHD. Um, so meds, Paige. Meds. meds. Okay. So um, I go see the doctor. Well, I don't see Dr. Dawson because he retired before I got there, but I see the guy who studied a mentor under with him. him yep so he basically is um dr dotson adjacent <laughs> essentially 2.0 2.0 and so he um i have this medicine it's called clonidine and it's really used i think he said it was used for blood pressure it's an old Blood old pressure blood med. pressure medicine so you would have to like when you do it he made me like monitor my blood pressure to make mm-hmm. sure it wasn't like all messed up but um it helps with the rsd with mood regulation it's mm-hmm. it's used for mood regulation and it works well i think it works pretty well you uh i don't it's too far away i don't know how much i take but i think you take the max dose don't you like four oh, milligrams probably. okay it's, so well i just have i have bad adhd so you might need less but right um it works there's also guanaphine right guanaphine. so usually a doctor will prescribe one or the other and if that one doesn't work then they'll try the other one it doesn't work for everybody right yeah. it worked for you it worked for the me, lord thankfully. almighty <laughs> <laughs> um right because it's it, definitely you're definitely less reactive mm-hmm. and it's irritable. Less irritable. Less irritable. <laughs> okay. Less reactive. It definitely doesn't get rid of well, just like anything, just like ADHD medicine doesn't get rid of like I still have ADHD, whether I am on the medicine or not. And those symptoms still exist. And I still like it's still something I struggle with but it's not like to the extreme that it's more manageable with medicine you take it at night because clonidine makes you super sleepy so if you drive and you take it don't you don't drive after you take it once you take it that's that's it you're in for the night it's bedtime usually shortly after. So, I mean, that's also nice because if you have ADHD and autism, it's most likely that you have sleep problems too. And it helps you sleep amazing. I've gotten the best sleep mm-hmm. my entire life. I've never had better sleep. And you've been taking it for a while now. It's been a few years. Has it been a few years? I thought it's only been like a year. No. Yeah. Because people just don't even count 2020. 
because <laughs> you started oh, yeah. it. You started I the med before 2020. I don't count 2020 as a year. Yeah, I forget no. about that. Yeah, um, that's funny. <laughs> okay, so um, but if you're in, but if you think that medicine might help, I'm not saying to just like go get some. Talk to your doctor, obviously, obviously. and they'll do whatever doctors do. Um, and I just have to say, if you're not going to a psychiatrist who's familiar with ADHD and you're getting your meds from your primary care physician or from your or from your kid's pediatrician for your kid, um, they are really not qualified to. That's what they, they do not years. have the education. We did do it for a while for and it was years. a mess. Yeah. Um, and um, so we speak from experience. It's yes. a mess. They're not a qualified mess. to do that. Um, and you want to find a doctor who is well-versed because a lot of doctors don't even know that RSD is a thing. And then they, so if they don't know RSD is a thing, they certainly don't know that there are meds that might potentially help the symptoms, right? So you know, find, I know it's hard to get into a psychiatrist, but you really want a psychiatrist doing your med management. Or sometimes if you can find a really good um, psych nurse, nurse practitioner, they're really good too, right? But you want one that specializes in, in ADHD. ADHD or autism and not just any old nurse practitioner, right? Yeah. You want that psych part in front of their name, title of their name. Yeah, for sure. So what else could you do if okay. those aren't a thing for you? If those aren't a thing for you, you could do, you could practice mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, you could take, take a deep breath and think of what you want to say or what you want to do before you do it, which easier said than done, honestly. <laughs> I have to remind myself before I react to like chill for a second don't automatically react and yell at this person um i have lots of clients that will like they'll even out loud say like i have one client that just says like stop i have another client that's uh that counts so if somebody says something and they feel angry mad sad basically um they'll count to three before they say something back. Um, I have another client that says break, right? Because of that whole idea of like Ferrari engine brain with bicycle brakes. So he'll yeah. say break. <laughs> and he, sometimes he'll say it out loud. Um, so like just in your head going, oh, I'm not going to react. Um, probably isn't very likely if you're impulsive and have ADHD yeah. right but like getting yourself in the habit of saying something or even just saying like I need a minute yeah. and then reacting oh I thought I wrote that down I did not but yeah do that yeah do that <laughs> um practice oh yeah okay practice controlling your emotions and how you react to them is a good thing to practice with someone maybe a comfort person no it's not a comfort person that sounds weird safe um, person a safe person there we go somebody who not loves a comfort you person yeah someone who loves to like 
a friend or a significant other or a parent a sibling practice a sibling practice your emotions or someone so or someone who like understands that you have rsd or whatever or that you have problems regulating your emotions so that way when you practice they know that you don't really mean it and you're just pretending or not pretending but you're practicing how to react or like situations um um, establish interpersonal boundaries it's a huge one Boundaries, boundaries. Boundaries are important. Boundaries. Like how many times have we said boundaries since we started? And we haven't done that many episodes. (laughs) So you should work on boundaries if you haven't already, because boundaries are Boundaries are important in life. In all areas of life, but I think it's just important, like, I don't know, to be able to identify them in the moment. Right. So you have to think about them in advance. So another one, we don't have it here, but um, I was recently reading the last Beret Brown book called Atlas of the Heart. And she talks about, gosh, maybe just even in the intro, she talks about how most people can only identify being happy, sad, or mad in the moment that they're having that feeling. But there are so many other emotions and degrees of emotion, right? Like there's a big difference between like being sad and being devastated, right? (laughs) Or gutted, right? So if you can't (laughs) identify the emotion you're having at the moment you're having it, that is a real clue to say, I need a moment. Can we have this discussion later? later? Yeah. Walking away is always an option. Yes. It's a, in a polite manner. Don't just like storm away and slam your door. Like, yeah. you know, like I need a moment. I heard you. I love you. I need, but a, I moment. need a moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's all kinds of things you can do with kids. So yes. So, to help. Um, with children, you can role play reactions to different situations that might be a for them. <laughs> so you can pretend like someone someone pushed you on the playground and now you're feeling very mad. And how do you feel like you should react? And then mm-hmm. if that's not really the way that they should react, then you can like teach them the correct way. There's a lot of training, particularly with kids that have ASD. That like there's a there's a some kind of stimulus. Somebody puts you on the playground, right? And then there's two reactions. We always have two reaction paths. One of them is positive and one of them is negative. Right? So yeah. which path and really discussing like playing out both paths all the way to the consequence at the end, right? So it could be you say, excuse me, you pushed me, that hurt my feelings, right? Uh That's the like positive words, right? And the other person says, oh, I'm sorry, do you want to come play with us, right? There's the conclusion, right? (sighs) 
Or there's the negative path. You like jump up and shove the kid, right? (laughs) And then you both get detention, right? That's the negative path. Um, But like very often, because a lot of people who are neurodiverse cannot play things through all the way to the conclusion of what it looks like, the final outcome. So you need to do that all the way through with kids so that they can see it. Yes. Yes. I what else? something like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, no. No, like, when I was in, like, with the playground thing, it just reminded me, like, oh. I had a friend, and then, like, this frenemy person, and this frenemy person was taking away my friend. So I told this girl, like, no one likes you. No one really likes you, and no one really wants to be your friend. That and is the negative she, path. <laughs> she ran to tell the teacher, the teacher wasn't really a great teacher and she had threatened to call you and I was I somehow convinced her not to convinced her not to call you and she's <laughs> like fine I'm gonna write your mom a letter and you need to give it to her when you get home if you <laughs> I'm gonna do that I ended up hiding it you found it months later but you weren't even like you were more mad about me hiding it than because so much had time had passed I was he was more mad at them. the teacher than anything else mm-hmm. because it's not how but, you handle a situation. Then, and then the next day, the teacher asked me, and I was like, oh, yeah, she grounded me. <laughs> I just lied to her. So then she wouldn't, like, somehow I convinced all of these teachers when I did something wrong not to call you. I'd be like, no, she's been, mm-hmm. she's at work. She won't answer your phone call. And then they would just believe me. They would believe that you were too busy to answer your phone. I didn't work at the time. I just like to say. <laughs> so okay. I don't know what was going on at your school, but. I don't know. But it was pretty funny. But that was the negative path. It was. You were the also path. undiagnosed. I was also nine. So. Um, oh, well, the things we find <laughs> out later. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about peer pressure with your children. So, because peer pressure is a thing. Um, Let teachers and other adults know about RSD and what helps to calm your child. So then you don't get situations like mine where your teacher (laughs) expects your child to give you a letter (laughs) saying how they did something wrong. Because your child's not going to give you that letter. No. Um, and then for your loved ones, don't tease them about some a subject that you know is that is something that's sensitive. Right. Right. So like if you're if your kid's really bad in math, or if your kid actually believes that they're bad in math and maybe they aren't bad in math, this was you. You believed you were bad in math, but you weren't actually bad that in wasn't math. That bad. Um, I wasn't like Jack, though. Well, nobody's like Jack. Um, That's just like not an equivalent analogy. Um, I suppose. But comparison, I guess. Anyway, so if your kid's bad at, thinks they're bad at math, then you don't want, you don't want to tease them about math, but parents don't usually tease their kids. Um. We're not about that stuff, at least. Um, <laughs> we tease our kids plenty, but not about that. Um, you don't want to allow siblings to tease them about math either, right? That, like, that's just... Well, Jack would do that. He didn't tease you about it, but he... He would call like, me an imbecile. Like, you well, don't not get when this, I was you're around. such an imbecile. 
He was a terrible brother. He was age appropriate for the five years He's younger better than, now, than he was. I like him now, but he's super cool as now. A child, he was a pain. He was exactly what a brother who's five years younger than you <laughs> is supposed to be. But I can get why that was very frustrating, which is why you were then allowed to do your homework in your bedroom and not in a place where I could see you anymore because I knew he was harassing you and was rude about it. Right. (laughs) But that was the trigger. Right. I mean, that was a huge trigger. Right. So don't tease people about things that, you know, they're sensitive about. Yeah. I think that's a good rule of thumb, whether somebody has RSD or not. That's just like. Not it's, nice. It's not cool. But a kid with RSD, I can tell you, they can bring down a whole damn house mm-hmm. in a matter of 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have lived Put it. Everyone <laughs> in a bad mood. Yes. We Pretty have. We're right. mm, two. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. Right. Um, any other thoughts oh, or confessions from your childhood you would like to share? Oh, is that everything? That's everything. That's all the research you had. Oh, wait. Well, what about outcomes? You got rid of my. We outcomes. did. No, we didn't. We already did those. Right? You're pure oh, rude. We did. We did the outcomes. Okay. It's been a long work day. It has been a long work day. Well. We're done recording now, so you can rest. Cool. Cool, cool. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you wanted to coach with me, see my information at bigbangcoaching.net. If you're interested in emailing us, you can reach us at thendtoolbox at gmail.com. And if you wanted to see our website, please go to the neurodiverse toolbox.podbean.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Neurodiverse Toolbox.